I was online with a group of preachers the other day. We kind of encourage each other and help each other out. And one young guy said, help! I've been asked to speak at baccalaureate this year and I don't know what to do. And there were a lot of people that had some great advice. And finally I said, you know, I've done a lot of these. It doesn't matter what you say. Keep it short. If you keep it short, they will remember that you kept it short. That's the best that we can hope for because it is a busy week for you and it's, it's going to be even just a blur shortly. This entire week will be a blur and it's kind of a blur for me as, as a father of one of the graduates. So let's just get through it together and I promise I'll do my best to keep it short. For most of you, this is one of the first of, of many transitions, major transitions in life. And There's things that you have done every day of your life that you'll never have to do Again, I was thinking about that this morning as I got up. There are things you're never going to have to worry about again. You're never going to have to worry about cleaning out your locker again, probably. You're never going to have to worry about, you're probably never going to have to pick up, for many of you, you want to pick up a science book, a science textbook again, or a math textbook. That sounds awesome to never have to pick up a math textbook again. But I was thinking, you know, of all the books that you're putting down, there may be a book that you never put down. There may be a book that you pick up maybe for the first real time at some point where you pick up a book on faith and you take a look at something bigger than what you've spent the last 12 years learning in school. Faith is an elusive concept. Faith is difficult for us to understand. It's difficult for us to understand what exactly faith is all about. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about faith. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And there in the very first verse, of Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I didn't have to pick up a lot of English textbooks when I was in college, but I had to pick up three years worth of Greek textbooks, and those were pretty heavy. And so just to use a little bit of that, I'll tell you that word that I've highlighted there, I guess you're looking up here, that word assurance that you see highlighted, uh, that word, it, it, in, in its root, it contains the idea of something being firm. Something being so firm that you can stand upon it. That, that it's not going to crumble under your feet. It's not going to let you down. It is something that you can be sure of. It is your assurance of things hoped for. That is faith. Not shaky, not crumbling, but firm and set and trustworthy. Some of you have put the time in through your entire lives. You've formed faith. But over the next few years, I guarantee that faith will be challenged. And, and that's okay. It's okay for challenges to come. The question will be, is what you've formed able to stand? Are you going to be able to stand? We went through that entire book, or that entire chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's called the faith chapter. And, and in that chapter, we're uh, kind of reintroduced to a lot of people that we maybe met in the Old Testament, people who are heroes of the faith, people like Noah, people like Moses, people like Abraham, people who stood firm on what they believed. And it's there in Hebrews chapter 11, we're reintroduced to a man named Joseph. And Joseph, when we're first introduced to him back in Genesis, Joseph was maybe about your age when we first meet him. And, and Joseph went on to do great things. We know just Almost more about Joseph than anyone else in the book of Genesis. And tonight I want to look at his life briefly, look at his life. And I, want, I think some of the lessons that we learn from Joseph are ones that you can take with you and lessons that you can stand upon. Because 
like Joseph, you, you're going to go to a lot of new places. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. That sounds rough enough. But to make matters worse, Joseph was his daddy's favorite. And everybody knew that Joseph was daddy's favorite. Now that meant that he was not his brother's favorite. And, and part of the problem was Joseph didn't know how to keep his mouth shut. Joseph had big dreams and he told other people about those dreams. We read in Genesis 37 verses 5-11, through 11, it says, Now Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said, are you indeed going to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his, father's, his father kept this saying in mind. Can I suggest to you, it is great to have dreams. It is great to have big dreams. Be careful who you share your dreams with. Make sure it's people who are going to encourage you in your dreams. Make sure it's people who are going to support you in your dreams. Well, if you know the rest of the story, Joseph's brothers take revenge on him and, and take revenge on his dreams. They sell him to some traders that are passing through the area. Those traders take him down to Egypt and they sell him there, but it's there in Egypt that Joseph rises to power. He becomes second in command of the entire nation. He becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh himself. But it is in a world, it is a world away from where he grew up. It is a world away from what he came to know as a child. It's new people, it's new customs, new clothing, new language, and it is new gods. Now you're going to go to a lot of new places. And I'd have two questions as you prepare to go to those new places. Number one, what are you taking with you? Because Joseph took his faith. He took a rock-solid faith that he could stand on. He also took his dreams. The other question I would have, not just our, what are you taking with you, but I would ask you this, what are you leaving behind? Joseph exchanged a life in, well, really, what was his equivalent of a small-town, rural farming existence? to move to the big city, to move to Egypt, to the height of civilization, can you stand firm in that kind of transition? Because here's, here's something you need to understand. For better or for worse, just like Joseph, what, who you have become here is who you will continue to be there. New life in the, in the big city meant new opportunities. New life in the big city also meant new challenges. It, it, it meant new tests. It meant new temptations. And at one point in his life, in one point in the story of Joseph, he, he is the servant. He is the head servant in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the captain of the Egyptian guard. And Joseph, as, as a servant in the house, Joseph caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And we read in Genesis 39, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the other men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by the garment and saying, lie with me. But he left the garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now maybe you're wondering, what's, what's the big deal? Yeah, no one would have known. No one would have known. What's, what's the big deal? Live a little, have fun. But Joseph wasn't simply guided by his dreams. Joseph was guided by his character. The character that you've developed here is character that will go with you. And while that character may have worked in Kansas, Illinois, what's that character going to look like in bigger settings with bigger challenges, maybe even bigger competition, maybe even bigger compromises? I would imagine that every day of your life, every day of your life, you've heard the words, character counts. As you've walked down the hallway at Kansas school, you've, you've, seen it on the, you've seen it in the halls, character counts. You've gone to assemblies where they showed you character counts. And I, I don't think there's ever been a generation where it's been more emphasized to not be a bully than your generation. Your generation, like no other, has been told, do not be a bully. And sometimes I wonder if in teaching you what not to be, did we also teach you what you should be? In teaching you what not to be, to not be a bully, did we, did we teach you how to be a friend? Did we teach you how to be kind? If you noticed those values, those fruit of the Spirit, those characteristics in that video earlier, did we teach you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Did we teach you how to be a friend? Did we teach you not just how not to be a bully? Did we teach you how to be a friend? Did we teach you how to be kind? Did we teach you how to be of value to other people? Not just characteristics to avoid, uh, to avoid but did, we, did you learn how to develop character that lasts? And so the question can't be simply, what is your dream? The question also has to be, what are your convictions? Denzel Washington said, Dreams without goals are just dreams, and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Dreams without goals are just dreams, and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Goals require convictions, consistency, and character. That's more than just knowing who you shouldn't be. That's knowing who you should be and committing to being that person. And that leads me to the final lesson I want to show you from Joseph's life, and that is simply this. Find a vision that's bigger than you. Find a vision that is bigger than you. You know, we began Hebrews 11 with this, this great chapter of faith uh, with, with all these wonderful examples all through the chapter. Wonderful examples, powerful examples of, of people who lived by their convictions, who lived by their faith and the call to imitate their faith, imitate the convictions of those who have gone before us. And there have been some great examples all through that chapter. But then we get to Joseph. 
Joseph, someone that we know so much about his life, we know about his upbringing, we, we know about his dreams. There's so many things that, that the author of Hebrews could have used as his example of Joseph's faith. We could have talked about how he held on to his faith when his brothers sold him into slavery, when, when, when he was thrown in prison for years, when he, when he rose to power under Pharaoh, when he provided for the people who were facing famine, when he brought his own family back to Egypt and they lived like kings. But but what is the example of Joseph's faith? He simply writes in Hebrews 11.22, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus to the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's it. He gave instructions concerning his bones. That's the example of Joseph that we're called to look to. Not Joseph the young dreamer. Not Joseph the the leader. Joseph as an old man on his deathbed, surrounded by his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren, taking them by the hand and saying, swear to me that when you leave Egypt, swear to me you will take my bones with you. You will take my earthly remains with you. You will not leave me to be buried here, but you will take me into the promised land and you'll bury me there. That, that vision that he had of his people free, his people with, with their own home, his people in the home that they had been promised, it would be over 400 years before that dream became realized. And not just not Joseph's children, but his children's 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 children would carry his bones through the Red Sea and carry his bones into Israel and bury him at home. And I know most of you have dreams. Most of you have dreams for the next four years. Most of you have dreams for the next four years. Maybe you have dreams for the next 40 years. But beyond your dream, is there a vision? Is there a vision that goes beyond your dreams? Is there a vision that you can't even see yet, but you would be willing to be committed to it? Is there a hope that you'll hold on to, even though you know you'll probably never live to see it, but you'll give your life for it anyway? Is there a hope for a better future for the next generation? Is there a hope for a better country, a a better planet, a better promise? That might require a sacrifice on your part. It may even require you laying down your dreams. And it's definitely going to require something firm to stand upon. After Hebrews 11, with its stories of faith, Hebrews 12 launches with kind of a what-do-we-do-now statement. Now that we've seen these heroes of faith, what, what do we do now? And Hebrews 12.1 begins with, therefore, since, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the way the author views those who have gone on before them, those people of faith. For, for them, it was Abraham, it was Isaac, it was Jacob, it was Joseph, it was King David, it was those heroes of faith. I, I don't know who it would be for you. Maybe it would be a godly grandmother or great-grandfather. Maybe it would be godly parents who instilled faith in you. Or maybe it would be others who taught you over the years and over your lifetime what it means to have faith. But he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great 
a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. The one who makes it solid. The one who gives us assurance that we can stand. You see, your faith won't be perfect because you believe hard enough. Your faith won't be perfect because you decided not to be a bully. Your faith can only be perfect if it is founded on someone perfect. Someone stronger than you. Someone who is bigger than your dreams. Someone who can lead you to that vision. Verse 3 says, Consider Him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I'll agree, do not grow weary. Because what's ahead of you is not for the faint-hearted. 